0: Your beauty is our duty. Organissima
1: New York. welcome back to the i health and i have radio hurricane age here new show new day new week new guest uh with a little spin uh, our guest actually has uh, so much expertise in a talk show business <laughs> as being a host on the radio uh and, and and a real you know engaging you know a program as well as doing ted talks as well as uh being uh, on the summit world and really directing summits and doing presentations and things like that, uh, which is not easy. Uh, you know, public speaking and and, and discussions and, and entertaining crowds is not that easy, I would say. But but with me tonight, I have Jackie Simmons. And uh, she's done a lot of work over the years, and she'll tell us more on the details about that. But one of the areas that she has completely, you know, became more um, focused on in the last, you know, last Few months, I would say, if not a year plus, is is prevention of suicide or suicide prevention, and you know we'll talk about what well, was that the reason behind it, and you know how does it work. Now, now again, this is not my my my, my really uh, talk. This is this is Jackie's talk today. So so Jackie, how are you? Welcome to the show.
0: Oh my goodness, I am so happy to be here, Hurricane. Thank you for inviting me on the show. There's no doubt. Talking is how we make a living. It's how we communicate. It's how we make couples. I mean, it's the basis of everything. But I didn't realize that talking could be a life or death matter. And that journey, when I went from talking, helping entrepreneurial women sell themselves on themselves, I called it sales from the inside out. And I've been, you know, stress management, business consulting, that mashup for years. But I didn't talk about suicide. You know, you talk about it's not your thing. Well, I thought it was nobody's thing. I thought nobody wanted to talk about suicide. And I knew I didn't. I mean, after all, why? Why would I? my journey into this world started in 1995 and it was june it was the beginning of summer vacation which meant that my daughters who were in high school and middle school were getting ready for their trip for the summer to visit their dad and his family one stayed away you know i mean we were a typical stable middle class american family which meant they're going away for the summer three girls We were going shopping. (laughs) (laughs) Anybody who's raised kids. (laughs) (laughs) My daughter, Stephanie, was 14 years old. She was in between her sisters, in between schools, and in between clothing sizes. Shopping became an adventure. You can imagine this day. It was outfit after outfit, store after store. Hurricane, nothing fitter. And at the end of the day, we came home with nothing except an attitude. Stephanie headed straight upstairs to the bathroom. I collapsed on the sofa, grateful to be off my feet, peace and quiet. And then, mom, I think I need help. My eyes were drawn to Stephanie's left arm, blood was dripping off her fingers onto the wood floor the emotional part of my brain started screaming in terror at the sight of my bleeding obviously suicidal child the rational part of my brain started flipping through the files in my head looking for the date of her last tetanus shot i wrapped her in my arms and assessed the wounds and they were not life-threatening
1: have you ever felt panicky and calm at the same time? All the time. I mean, situations arise. I mean, you always have a sense of panic, but then also if you lose the cool, I mean, it's a problem. You got to keep, you know, nice and <laughs> collected and, and <laughs> focused. I mean, it's a, it's, it's the best way to deal with panic and, and, you know, crisis.
0: Well, that's what happened. We applied bandages and we made a plan to visit the teen suicide, not teen suicide, teen mental health facility the next day. You know, the tears finally stopped. The mutual I'm sorry's got shared and she slept. We were, I couldn't risk being away from her. So we were sleeping in the living room and between us was her handwritten note, her promise not to harm herself while I slept. Yeah, right. Like I was going to close my eyes that night. All night, I stared into the darkness and listened to her breathe, grateful she was still alive. And my thoughts just swung you know what just happened how did this happen who's to blame i mean hurricane it had to be somebody's fault right sure well
1: again maybe but yeah. there's there, there are reasons
0: mm-hmm. there, there, what we've happened after that night was counseling therapy interventions medications hospitalizations And 13 more attempts. As long as Stephanie was getting professional help, Hurricane, I sold myself on the idea that we didn't need to talk about it. After all, why bring that up again? You know, I was scared I would put the thought back into her head. And after all, like I said, why bring that up again? I mean, would you want to know what could cause your kids so much mental and emotional pain that they thought dying was better than living?
1: Yes. I mean, technically.
0: I didn't want to know. So I
1: didn't ask. Well, was it because you she was going through treatment and, and prevention and stuff? Maybe you thought that was enough?
0: No, I thought that was enough. Like I said, as long as she was getting professional help, I yeah. mean, I didn't want to mess that up. and and there's a lot that could be going on in my head at that time the reality is I was busy I was busy being an entrepreneur I was busy and if she was getting help we were good I could pretend that we were still a stable middle-class American family so I stayed silent and it was a silence that lasted 23 years and then on August the 3rd 2019 Stephanie, now 37 years old, broke the silence. Hurricane, the morning of her talk was sunny and already warm. The hotel was on the outside of Sarasota, Florida. I walked into the conference room and greeted the 12 speakers, Stephanie and the other 11, who I trained to deliver messages that matter. Everything worked. Yo, the videographer was set, the microphones, the projector, everything worked. The audience took their seats. Stephanie was getting into that nervous, excited state you get into right before you give a talk. Oh, my God, I'm super proud of my daughter, Hurricane. She looked amazing in her dark blouse and flowery skirt. and Her hair was pulled back in combs. She was first up on the speaker's roster. So the lights dimmed, and I'm like... Everybody, help me welcome Stephanie Ashton. Stephanie walked confidently to the front of the room and shook my hand. And she began. 3,000 teenagers will attempt to take their own lives today in the U.S. In the back of the room, I was stunned. Twice. First, because I had no idea the number was that high. And second, because I had no idea suicide was her topic. She continued. When I was 14, after a bad day of shopping, I stood in my bathroom. The pain of not fitting into any clothes was just more proof that I didn't fit in anywhere. And that pain was more than I could bear. I took a razor and cut into my left arm, trying to end the pain and my life. In the back of the room, I was in total disbelief at Stephanie's big reveal. I felt the blood drain from my face. You ever been hijacked by bad memory?
1: It happens all the time. We all have something that it just hits you and you're like, wow, And you just disappear in there. I mean, you just get immersed into it. So, yeah, I mean, I, I could relate to that. Only my 30 years of stress management training kept me from just crawling
0: into a corner and bawling my eyes out. Stephanie continued. It wasn't my only attempt. There were others. I've never really talked about it outside of getting professional help, not even with mom. Mom and I had the other talks. Mom and I had the talk about sex. And mom and I had to talk about drugs. Mom and I had to talk about alcohol. And then I went to college on a dry campus. That means the kegs were hidden in the showers of the girls' dorm. (laughs) We had to talk about alcohol more than once. But we didn't talk about suicide. It was too awkward, too painful, too easy to avoid. I still struggle with suicidal thoughts hurricane in the back of the room, I went from pale to bone cold. It hit me how my daughter had struggled alone because I didn't have the courage to have the talk about suicide. My heart just plummeted into my gut. Stephanie wound up her talk with On my suicide avoidant journey I've learned tons of coping skills now I want to teach these skills to teenagers before they need them yes before they need them there wasn't a dry eye in the house everybody's standing ovation people were rushing up and hugging her and thanking her for being so brave and so vulnerable in the back of the room I was frozen. I was completely torn between pride for her bravery and guilt and shame for my cowardice. And then it hit me. Hurricane, 3,000 teens attempt to take their own lives every day. This means every day, 6,000 parents start to live the guilt nightmare that i would lived. This means every day. Over 20,000 grandparents, aunts, uncles, brothers, and sisters start to live the guilt nightmare that I'd lived. And this means hundreds of thousands of classmates, teachers, boyfriends, girlfriends, and neighbors start to live the guilt nightmare, all probably just as blindsided by it as I had been. And then I wondered, What if Stephanie was right? What if the way to prevent suicide was to have the talk about suicide before it's needed? Oh my God, something so simple and obvious that professionals have tripped over it. You know, simple and obvious, like putting wheels on luggage or putting ketchup in squeezable bottles. Yeah, simple, obvious. After that day, Stephanie and I started to work together. We co-founded, oh, by the way, who knew that was possible? Yeah. We co-founded with her sisters, the Teen Suicide Prevention Society. And now we teach people, we teach parents, grandparents, brothers, sisters, friends, teachers, how to have the talk about suicide before you think your child needs it, before they start to struggle with suicidal thoughts. And here's my take on this. Talk about obvious. I mean, let's face it. Would you wait to talk to your kid about sex until after they were pregnant? First would you wait to talk to them about drugs until after they were in rehab? Would you wait to talk to them about alcohol until after they'd lost their license for drunk driving? But we wait to talk about suicide. And I'm on a mission to change that. To help people have the talk about suicide before they needed it. So here's what our research showed us. The talk about suicide suicide prevention in general, it's not intervention. It's not about somebody being at risk and it's not about waiting for signs. It's just about having the talk. And the talk is a science based script it's a short script it's actually designed to work with the way a teen brain really works and it's based in a signature system (laughs) yeah it's based in a system that actually alerts you to when intervention is necessary it prevents you from falling into the guilt nightmare and it actually builds resilience, emotional resilience in both the teen and in you. So the script is super, super simple, Hurricane. It's only four questions.
1: Would you like them? Most definitely. And just hold that. We will, yeah. I, will I will ask about those. But so you had asked the question about would we talk about sex or about alcohol mm-hmm. or drugs in advance? I think those are some of the obvious things that you know all parents. You know, and even school today, they talk about that. It's part of the curriculum. It's yeah. something we, we all have to. I mean, my kids literally, you know, they started these discussions in elementary school and going up. And they still are talking about these things. But suicide, to your point, is not something that we even anticipate or think of that it, it can happen to us or to our families. I mean, we all, I mean, in every, most of the families, they have some sort of belief system. And, and death and suicide is usually prevented in, and, or prohibited in any of those belief systems. But to your point, it doesn't matter. You said it, you know, here's a a middle class, American family values, the whole night. And out of a shopping spree, you know, you come home and something disastrous happened. That is that is really mind boggling. I mean, when you think about it, it's like it could happen to anyone. And and, and that's why, you know, I want to just to highlight that point is because it's really interesting that, yes, you're right. We don't talk about it. I've never talked about that to my kids. I never thought I would be talking about it, you know, I mean now this discussion is really, you know, giving me a little bit of a, a different, you know, uh, push to have this conversation. And so now I do want to hear about uh, and, and the, the four, you know, items and so on and so forth. So please tell us.
0: Oh, you're very, yes. And you hit the nail on the head. It, it doesn't cross our minds. And the reason it doesn't cross our minds is because we have a value-based belief system that says my kid's okay that says it doesn't happen in my house, in my neighborhood, in my culture. And yet the Center for Disease Control just released information that says 25% of American young adults are struggling with suicidal thoughts. 25%. What we know is you can't tell by looking. So we've created the program to help people invite their families, their friends, their kids, to have the conversation in a way that doesn't say, I think you're broken. Because that's the biggest hurdle. So while it's a planned conversation, it's an invitation that sounds like this. My students are trained to invite. Here we go. I'm studying to be part of the mission, the suicide prevention movement. I need to have practice conversations. Would you give me five minutes so I can practice? Sure. All right, here, it's only four questions. The first question, have you heard about the rise in teen suicide rates? No. Do you have a friend who's tried or died? Yes. Have you ever thought of leaving that way? No. Why stay? What are your reasons for staying?
1: so much to this life tell me more i love this <laughs> i i i am enjoying this thing i mean some of it is real i mean i read old, those are real answers uh but but yeah i mean that is you're right i mean listen uh well i mean there's a lot of different factors why more i mean first mm-hmm. besides life you got family you got so much to live for and also from a religious aspect or a belief system you know we know that's prohibited it's not a good place to be and whatever the case may be it's also you know um why, you know, you have to also have acceptance of circumstances. Things happen in life good and bad ugly, and you know you just roll up your sleeve, you know you fall, you get up, resilience, and you move on. That's how I see it, you know but I'm sure that other folks listening to if to the same question, they may have the same answer or a different answer. Uh, They're
0: going to have their own reasons for staying, but here's what happened, and anybody watching the video will have noticed. as soon as I asked you why stay, your whole demeanor changed.
1: Yeah, I was. A little...
0: <laughs> yeah, when we, when we, the whole practice of this conversation of these four questions—it doesn't matter what the answers are to the first three. All that does is bring it closer and closer to home, and then the flip with the the open-ended question of why stay? What are your reasons for staying? This actually creates new neural pathways in the brain and backs people away from an edge they may not have even known they were near. Now, this is time-honored in a lot of cultures, but here's one of the things that's different. If you had said yes to the question, have you ever thought of leaving that way? Question three, and you had said, nothing to what are your reasons for staying. When that combination comes up, you stay with them. If someone doesn't have reasons for staying and they have thoughts of leaving, stay with them and call 911. This is when you intervene and you don't wait. They might hate you for it and you might save their life. Any other conversation, any other collection of answers, if they have reasons for staying, all you do is keep them focused on their reasons for staying. Invite them to tell you more. You don't have to share your reasons for staying unless they ask. The more they hear themselves list off their reasons for staying, the more they're laying down a neural pathway that will prevent them from leaving.
1: It's interesting. I've- I love, I love that, that, that psychology breakdown there, because to your point, I mean, if you say yes, but then you have nothing to live for, I mean, you're really committed and, 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 you know, it's so sad that, you know, the, 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 the real question is why I think, I mean, that's what people would, the real
0: question for what is why, why, what
1: why would they want to leave and they have nothing to live for?
0: As soon as you ask that question, you are building a neural network for leaving. It's the opposite of what's useful better to ask why not. As a matter of fact, the natural negative bias of the brain allows for asking the question, why not? And we have a workbook for that. It's called Why Not Workbook. Why Not Workbook? It's how to break the silence. And it was one of the first training tools we came up with for the suicide prevention movement. Here's how it works. If I ask you why leave, and you start building out that list, we're going down a rabbit hole that has not good written all over it because all you're doing is activating the law of attraction in a way you don't want to activate the law of attraction. Your subconscious mind is designed to bring about what you think about. So if you're listing off your reasons for leaving, this is not good. You'll get subconscious plan crossing opportunity. And if you're a teen, someone with minimal impulse control, you'll be jumping off a bridge. That's why we have jump nets on bridges. Now, it was happening so often. Better to ask why not. So there's a whole workbook for that. But imagine being able to say, well, why not leave? You'll find that you get really interesting answers if you ask that question. And I'm usually pretty blunt. Why not die today?
1: That's a very interesting question. I mean, well, I got plans today.
0: <laughs> there we go. I got plans.
1: There
0: we go. and, you, and in the Why Not Workbook, we teach ask it seven times. Why not leave today?
1: So basically, it creates different answers and different reasons why you want to live. Exactly. Now,
0: if I had go up to somebody and say, what's so good about living? I don't get the same answers that I get when I say, why not leave?
1: because because you're more precise and you get them to really give you a reason to live versus the other way where they can say life sucks you know i'm just tired yeah yeah Yeah. i mean it i i love it i mean i you know i'm just i'm interacting with you but i'm really like putting myself into it obviously i'm i'm a little more mature you know about thinking about that but you know what i don't think age has to do with it i mean we're talking teens but we've seen people that i've had when i said yes i mean i had family members who actually made a suicide and then for no reason, the obvious reason. I mean, the No
0: just... obvious reason is the key to this. Hurricane, this is why we had to go, wait a minute, what's wrong with the programs we have? The most programs that are labeled suicide prevention only kick in when there's a known risk factor. When someone has a mental health diagnosis, they've been labeled as at risk, something is visible. There's a list at the Center for Disease Control of signs that your loved one might be in trouble. There's two problems with that list. One, most people don't know it exists until after their loved one has made an attempt. That's one. That's when I found out that it existed. But here's the worst one. Here's the hard one. We have something called confirmation bias. Remember when you were talking about your family and your values and the reasons why you didn't think you needed to have the talk about suicide with your kids? We are naturally inclined to screen out anything that does not confirm what we believe to be true. My belief that my daughter was okay made it impossible for my brain to register what signs that were there. I beat myself up for a long, long time because the Center for Disease Control list, I could go, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, I missed it, I missed it, I missed it. When the reality is I didn't miss it. My brain refused to register it because I had a belief that said my kid was okay. Well, who doesn't have that belief?
1: So it's, it's really like almost a form of denial because you're just not in any belief accepting the yeah. idea.
0: You know, denial presupposes that you have conscious awareness. Oh, I'm aware of it, but I'm denying it. This is actually, you don't even get conscious awareness of it. Not enough. I'm a great believer in research. And one of the best researchers on this topic is actually Malcolm Gladwell. And he wrote a book called Talking to Strangers. And in it he uncovers and delves into truth bias, a version of confirmation bias. And it explains how we are so predisposed to believe strangers are telling us the truth, our kids are okay. These very basic things, we are so predisposed to believing that those are true that we've got to have a really big stack of evidence to the contrary. We've got to have more than one red flag. You know, we got to have a whole red flag parade before it's going to break that bias. And unfortunately, right now, what we're seeing is that for many people, the first sign that somebody you care about is at risk is an attempt. And they don't all survive. I got really lucky, Hurricane Hurricane. That's why this is my calling now. This is my mission. I cannot stop. For over 23 years, I didn't talk about it. I had so many beliefs in the way, including the fact that I would have zero credibility professionally if people knew that my daughter tried to take her own life. You know what happened? My business increased when I started being willing to be honest about what life's journey led me to and what I've learned along the way. There's something so incredibly compelling about people talking about authenticity. But I didn't even know what that word meant. I thought that I could be authentic and keep a secret. Somebody asked me recently, I had been talking about how I had helped one of my partners enroll $1.3 million in new clients in six weeks. And they said, Jackie, what's your secret sauce? And I said, no more secrets.
1: I like that. That's a good one. (laughs) That's a secret sauce. No secret.
0: (laughs) That's my secret. I is now I have no more secrets. It is. Yeah, this is what's important to me. It's important to me to stop any other parent from having to live the guilt nightmare that I left. So we founded the teen suicide prevention society. I host the suicide prevention show, which is an online summit. We've got the suicide prevention movement, YouTube channel. You know, we're out here to say, Hey, wake up. You don't know that your child is at risk you don't know that your spouse is at risk you don't know but i will tell you every single person i talk to knows that their demographic is diet of silence and that's why I'm talking about it you know the talkaboutsuicide.com is where people can find my TEDx talk if they want to hear the rest of the story But more importantly, I would love to arm your tribe with the two things that will help them the most in this conversation. The first would be the suicide risk factor assessment. You want to know if your family's at risk? I understand that curiosity. So we actually have an assessment and in it are the four questions and how to have the talk about suicide with your loved ones. So would it be okay for everybody to have that?
1: Of course. And, and it would be welcome to. I mean, I, listen, I, I went through the questions and, and they're pretty intriguing and, and they're very easy. And to your point, there is there is a an effect of out of answering those questions. And you can realize immediately what's the status here. And, you know, well, to a degree, right? I mean, you understand what you're looking for. And someone who has not had the experience may not see it right away. Someone maybe with a psychology or psychiatrist, you know, background will immediately catch that. Uh, but for us, you know, just general folks, I mean, I think uh, to your point the questions and understanding what the objective of them will be very, very useful. So I hey, listen, I welcome that. And our audience listening or watching, please take, take note and, and, and do take, you know, uh, the test and you never know. Um, Cause it is definitely a question that we don't ask. And until it's too late, I guess. And and you know, while you you're really when when I heard the statistics you mentioned first, that was like, you know, almost like wow. Three thousand kids a day. That's children, right? That's what we're talking yes, teens. teens, just
0: teens, just in the US
1: and before COVID. Wow. Uh, yeah, that's 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 crazy. That's a lot. I mean that is a huge number, and you know again a day when you add it up in a month and a year, that's a lot of lives, a lot of, you know, families that are potentially destroyed and or destroyed. I mean, I mean, you lose someone of that age, it's not as simple. I mean, I again as parents, you know, we can relate. No one wants their kids to be hurt. Period, <laughs> and let alone lose their life. So, so I get it. I mean, it it is it is crazy, and and uh, I mean, and no yet one's it's talking so it.
0: easy to prevent once I understood that prevention starts before you think they're at risk, then it became simple to prevent. Until then, I was thinking, I'm going to have to go become a psychologist, I'm going to have to go get some degrees, I'm going to have to go, you know, and once I realized that Stephanie had it right, all you have to do is get the skills, have the talk before it's needed. Well, Shazam. Now it's a magic wand. Now it's easy. Now it's fun. You know, now we can use all of these amazing fun things like the other side. Okay. We got the suicide risk factor assessment. Now we've got the fastest way to mitigate suicide risk, the fastest way to improve mood and attitude I've ever seen. I've partnered with the people at Positive Prime and created something called emotional Teflon. Out of one of my trainings called Leaving Shouldville. Yeah, you know Shouldville, right? That that dark dank place you go when you should on yourself or other people. So I've been training people to get out of Shouldville for years, and now with this company, we've actually taken that training and turned it into a vision board on steroids. And these they're called sessions. If you watch one for three minutes. It improves mood and attitude for six to eight hours. And this has been scientifically validated. They've cracked the code on how to give you immediate access to what I'm, I call it, a perpetual optimism engine.
1: That's like a a high injection right there. In three, three minutes, watch, and then you have yeah. full days, like uh, having a Red Bull. <laughs> There we go. Without the drop, you don't
0: get the side effects from it. And the more consistently you watch you, you stack up some days, the effects last longer. So I have that for everyone too. So I know you're going to be putting the links up Yes. for everybody. Um, but for anybody listening, the first link is you can't tell by looking. That's how you get the suicide risk factor assessment because I had to learn you can't tell who's at risk by looking, not even looking in their medical file. You can't tell. So, no apostrophe because it's a website. You can't tell by looking.com. And then for emotional Teflon, well, hey, let's let other people's emotions and attitudes and their shooting on you just slide right off of you. It's emotionalteflon.com. I like simple
1: simple is easy
0: <laughs> simple is great. easy yeah, yeah.
1: well well i mean again audiences watching and listening i mean those are two valuable sites that we can all benefit from or share with others uh, in our circles that might um, even if you don't think that they need it you know share it because again you never know <laughs> you know yeah you, you can't, know, can't tell you by know. looking exactly so 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 i mean it is it is uh, i mean it's it's as as crazy as this is the first Really, I mean, I've been around, you know, I've seen it. I've experienced it in personal life, but I never thought about it mm-hmm. until like you gave you gave us today some of these statistics and also your own personal experience. And really, you know, you don't realize how easy it can be and how dangerous it can be. And, you know, sometimes to your point, we're busy with life and business and stuff. We don't see, you know, and the kids may not come to you, and say, I'm dad, I got problems, you know, and and sometimes we prevent that. Oh yeah, you ask any teenager how you doing,
0: they're going to say fine. <laughs>
1: That's perfectly done.
0: <laughs> they're going to say fine, I'm good, yo, leave me alone. Yeah. You know, and and we are so hesitant to open that door because what are we going to do if they say, yeah, I got a problem? You know, we're going to try to listen. We're going to try to help. And this is why I the script doesn't allow for interaction. Because if we try to help, oh, you've got a friend who's tried or died. If we start exploring that, we're part of the problem. Because we've shut down them getting in touch with their own feelings. And we do it without thinking about it. We don't want our kids to be in pain. We try to make it better. It's why we kiss a boo-boo. It's why we say, here, have a cookie. We want to distract them from their pain. Because this is how we were taught. The problem with that is, it's like mushrooms, you know, they grow in the darkness. When you get stuck on a thought, here's the deal. We're so afraid of talking about suicide, our kids pick up on that vibe. We're afraid. And because we're afraid, we not only don't want to talk about it, we don't want to think about it. So our kids pick up on that energy. They don't want to talk about it. They don't want to think about it. But what happens if they do think about it? All of a sudden, they've got a thought they're afraid of. They can't talk about it because we don't talk about that in our family. Adults don't talk about it because heaven forbid, I talk about it with somebody who's going to report me and I get put into a 72-hour hold, which is the law in most states, depending on the profession of the person you're talking to. There's a reason we don't talk about suicide with professionals. And our kids pick up on this fear. And then they try not to think about it. Hey, Hurricane, don't think about an elephant.
1: (laughs) I just thought about it.
0: (laughs) This is uh, what happens. The more they try not to think about it, the more it's doubling down on the thought. I call it getting caught in a negative emotional, negative echo chamber in the mind. And this, when they're trying not to think about it, they're not talking about it. It's doubling down on it. This is when we don't know they're in trouble. They don't know they're in trouble. They think they've got it under control because they're not thinking about it, which means they're thinking about it. So because they don't know they're in trouble, you can't know they're in trouble. So have the talk. Find out. Find out, because just having the talk, breaking the silence, eliminates one of the risk factors of suicide, because not talking about suicide has been identified as a risk factor of suicide.
1: Jackie, would someone challenge that and say, well, if you talk about it, maybe you trigger a, 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 you know, a thinking process here, and maybe now people are start thinking? I mean, have you heard that? Someone asked that question before? I lived that hurricane. I was so scared of putting the
0: thought back in my daughter's head. Now, let's look at reality. You would think after 14 suicide attempts, I'd have figured out that the thought was already in her head. But no, I was afraid of putting it back in her head. The reality is they're thinking about it. Here's how I know. Our first attempt to make a difference of the Teen Suicide Prevention Society As we published a book called Make It a Great Day, The Choice is Yours. Over 20 of my friends came together, gave us their inspiring stories. The idea was to give teenagers a tool that would help them to break the silence and start conversations. So I went to a local high school armed with books. Yo, we'd had a sponsor who sponsored 500 books for teens. I was ready. I went in, I explained the program to the kids. And after I was done talking about the program and talking about the books, I asked, do you have a story? Do you have a friend who's tried or died? They started talking one after the other. Story after story. One young lady lost her first friend to suicide in elementary school and her second friend just that year. And she was only a sophomore. When I left, I went to my car and I sat in the parking lot and cried. Because Hurricane, it wasn't some of the kids in the room. It wasn't even most of the kids in the room. Every single teenager in that room had a story of a friend who tried or died or they had. And I'll bet their parents didn't have a clue. And I can't go to their parents and tell them. Not directly. But it didn't take us long to figure out that a book wasn't going to be enough. And that's when we started figuring out that how can we help people break the silence and have the talk? And it took a year to figure out that it's not about intervention and it's not about waiting for signs and it's not about at-risk anybody kids just parents need to know one your kids at risk just like you know your kids at risk from pregnancy and they're at risk from rehab and they're at risk from drunk driving you know these risks exist well so does suicide it's the fourth wheel on that car that as a parent we're supposed to teach our kids how to drive you know we're supposed to teach our kids how to navigate So that they don't end up pregnant when they're a teenager and they don't end up in rehab and they don't end up losing their license and they don't end up dead from taking their own lives. That's our job. But if we're only willing to talk about three tires on this car, we're not helping our kids navigate life. And I didn't know that. Hurricane. Nobody told me that. We didn't talk about it. And my dad was a vet. My dad was World War II in Vietnam. American veterans are dying from suicide at the rate of 22 a day. That's almost one every hour. And we don't talk about that in our culture very much either. We've lost more of our military to suicide than we have to battle throughout history. But it's not something that polite people talk about. Well, I think it's impolite not to talk about it. I think it's not only impolite, I think it's child abuse to not talk about it. I think if you're not giving your kids all four tires fully inflated so they know about the risks of sex and they know about the risk of drugs and they know about the risk of suicide and they know about the risk of alcohol, that they are just the same. You want them to have all four tires pumped up. You want them to be able to navigate life. So that's what
1: we're here for. So Jackie, I have a few questions. Yeah. You know, you know based on your experience, your research, and, and and obviously you're close to this than most, and you know you've been into it for years, and then now just specifically, you know, going on the mission. Now, has there been a change or a a, a trend more in more recent years? Uh, because I don't remember this being like the topic of the hour back in the days, but but. Or, or or has it always been there, and it's just that no one was talking about it? Uh, you know that is do, do you think that there is a change and shift in our culture in in our the way our environment is, maybe triggering some of the action here? or is it just something we've had all along and we just didn't dare to talk about? It?
0: The answer is yes and yes. Okay. yes, we've had it all along. How do we know? we've lost more military to suicide historically. Since time began. According to the World Health Organization, suicide is the leading cause of violent death in the world. More than war, more than terrorism, more than murder combined. And that's before COVID. So we have a historical. Now, what happened? There used to be a lot more cultural mandates against it. Suicide used to be considered a crime against the village. Why? Because it's contagious. All it takes is one person taking their own life and everybody who knows them, their brain now has tacit approval to exit the same way, to leave the same way, because now it's become a viable thing. So one of the reasons we didn't talk about it is because we knew it was contagious. So there was a stigma against talking about it because maybe it wouldn't spread out if we didn't talk about it not quite what happens. The opposite is true. Because if people are afraid to talk about it, they get caught in the negative echo chamber of their own minds. So yes, it's always been there. And yes, there were always stigma. Yes, there were always injunctions against not doing it, not taking your own life. It used to be actually a crime you could be prosecuted for. Now, We have the self-actualization. We have all of the debates about assisted suicide for people with terminal illnesses. We have this whole debate going on in our culture for years and years and years. So there's been some people willing to start having the conversation, but only in context of, quote, justified. How do we justify someone taking their own life? And the reason for that was, again, it's contagious. One of the risk factors of suicide is if you know someone who's died by suicide. So guess what, Hurricane? You're in a higher risk group. But now you're not alone. Thanks to media, we all know someone. We all know a a celebrity chef, a talented singer, a gifted comedian who took their own life. We have been put into this higher risk bracket thanks to the icons of our culture who took their own life. I went on a rant and called out celebrities. that, If you're a celebrity, you don't have the right to take your own life. You've put yourself up as a leader and you are leading people to die. This is not good. I argue that they give up the right to take their own life if they're willing to be a celebrity. But then when you hear the heartbreaking stories like Robin Williams' story. You wonder, what's right or wrong here? And so I got out of that whole discussion because it was leading nowhere. We can debate the right or the wrong of all of these aspects. We can debate the why do people die? Why do people take their own life? But we're looking at the wrong end of the equation. Why not? their own life. How do we get them to focus on why stay? Well, that's what we've done. My company, yeah, this is the whole focus of my company now. Success Journey Academy only trains people in emotional resilience, whether it's emotional resilience, mastering, how to have the talk about suicide, how to have the talk to stop negative thinking, the talk to stop bullying, the talk to stop self-sabotage, that whole program, or whether it's resilience mastery formula for corporations. This is all we're doing now. If we can build your emotional resilience,
1: we don't have to worry about ever talking you off the ledge. Jackie, you're getting me intrigued about a second show talking about just that. (laughs) Sounds good to me. I'll be here. Yeah, well, I think I think there's there's a need for that too. Like, I mean, emotional resilience and and really taking to the next level in, in all aspects of life, that may be that maybe definitely something that'd be intriguing, you know, and I'm sure the audience will love it. Uh, so so one other question that I think is um, maybe relevant, you know, in this context more than ever, because we live in the states and you know, we're talking specifically about the United States, and but but again, this this problem I'm sure it's it's all over the world. And you know, in, in all cultures and stuff. But the reason I I, I want to discuss the cultural or religious aspect of it right now, if you don't mind, I don't mind. that 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 we do live, and especially in, in some parts of the states, we have more of metropolitan cities where, you know, m- you know, melting pots with, with multiple, you know, cultures and religious and mm-hmm. and, and beliefs. Uh, and every religion, I think in all the major religions, you know, suicide is forbidden. Yet, do we see that there is a trend in one versus the other? Is it a a standard, you know, uh, statistic right now? It doesn't matter. Uh, You know, I mean, are there any indicators that that in one is more prevented than other? Or if there is none, I mean, it's all the same. I mean, these things are literally off. It doesn't matter what you believe in. You know, these thoughts.
0: It matters what you believe in. Okay. It matters. Do you believe it's going to get better? That's the belief that matters. Do you believe that whatever you're going through right now is temporary and it will get better? Do you have a modicum? Do you have a drop of optimism? That's the belief that matters. Every other religious belief helps the more connected you feel because connectivity is key when you're talking about emotional resilience. If you feel connected to a culture, you feel connected to a cause, you feel connected to a tribe, then you are by definition less at risk because you don't want to put them at risk. When people say, why stay? One of the first things I hear is because I have kids, because I'll miss this person when I was testing out this material for the first time for the why not workbook and I asked my guy, Mark, and I said, why not take your life? Why not die today? And his first answers were, you know, kind of off the wall. They were like, it sounds like a lot of work. <laughs> it would be messy. Yeah. That was his second answer. It'd be messy. Yeah. His third answer was, I would miss Driving different cars. He's a car guy. Then it was I'd miss someone's smiles. I might miss out on this new experience. And he started actually getting into what are his reasons for living. But if I had asked him his reasons for living, I'd have gotten a very different list. You're right. It is about what we believe, and it's what we decide is important. And what's important here, based on the people I've interviewed on the Suicide Prevention Show, connection, a willingness to believe that it's going to get better. This is the challenge. Something happens and we don't feel good. If we believe that it's going to get better, it's not a big deal. But if we don't think we can help it get better or there's anything that can be done, we slide from unhappy to helpless, feeling helpless about the situation. And hurricane, the moment we feel helpless, it's a really short slide to hopeless. And that's why emotional resilience is the preventative cure for this particular malady, for this particular illness, in my opinion. Now, granted... I am not talking about someone dealing with a mental health diagnosis. I'm not talking about psychosis. I am talking about the vast majority of people walking around feeling wounded, dealing with this unhappy slide down to helpless. And if we can catch them here, or even when they're happy, and get some emotional resilience reserves built up, we don't ever have to worry about them being helpless or helpless. Because we're designed by nature to bounce and not break. Hurricane, we've just forgotten.
1: I, I love that. That's 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 real, and uh, you know, it's amazing because you're right. That's it's. Life has so much to offer, and no matter what we go through, it always gets better as long as people believe in that. Uh, and that's I think the hard part is people sometimes they just feel that there is no way out. There's always a way out things always go back when it gets when like when you get down to the ground there's no way but up so you can always uplift as long as you don't stay there and you know so so go ahead i, I know you wanted to say something no
0: yeah i mean that's one of my favorite things is when you hit rock bottom you got no place to go but up that's right the reality is though if you're looking down you can't see that up exists that's why the tool in Emotional Teflon is so powerful because it proves to the brain that up exists. So even if somebody's at rock bottom, and by the way, they, everybody who goes to emotionalteflon.com gets two sessions for free for life. One is being happier. And if you're at rock bottom, being happier can be hard to watch. The other one is leaving shouldville. So if you're thinking you might be down a little bit, start with leaving should go. So that's my tip for the day. You don't need to go from rock bottom to mountaintop. All you got to do is be willing to turn over and look up. For many religions, this is one of their things. You know, you can look at the earthly plane or you can look at the spiritual plane. It's your choice. But when you're facing down and you're at rock bottom, it doesn't feel like you have a choice. And I'm here to wake people up to the fact that you always have a choice.
1: That's right. And, and, and sometimes it's just a matter of proposing that choice or showing to them or, or almost, you know, projecting it to them. It's about waking them up.
0: And what we found is that people are more willing. You know, this is true, right? Misery loves company. You ever go to a happy hour after work? Yeah, what do people talk about? They talk about what's wrong. Uh (laughs) Being willing to accept that this is the natural thing we talk about, this natural negative bias. The more I tried to happy people into being happy, the more pushback I got from the world. We don't want to be happy. We want people to accept the fact that it's real. People are taking their own lives in record numbers. It's real. I know somebody who's tried or died. It's real. Those thoughts have crossed my mind. Now, what do I do with this? Well, now here's the fourth question. You answer the question, why stay? What are my reasons for staying? The minute someone can do this for themselves or especially with someone else, both people get the new neural pathways. that give them a way to look up again. They give them access to their own personal reasons for saying it. Guess what? Your subconscious mind cannot argue with your own direct experience. The only thing it can't argue
1: with. Well, it's really a reset for your own. It's almost like a reminder, refresher of mm-hmm. hey, there is something to live for. There's a lot of good stuff. You just when you reinforce that by stating it, I mean. We all we do that in in learning, right? Mm-hmm. We say it over and over and now you believe it. And and so, but it ha- now it's in front of you, not in the back somewhere hidden. And I think that is that is an awesome tool and and you know a good trick that that listen, we talked about it for that minute, and it's all you know, all these things are firing up right now, like everything that I lead to 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 do and enjoy more and <laughs> going forward. So 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 a couple of things, Jackie. Yeah. You mentioned COVID twice in the discussion, and have you seen any trends, you know, I, I'm assuming theres there's got to be some impact, you know, that is mental and, and you know, that's driving people maybe even closer to the edge, you know, during the last year or if not even today. How uh, have you experienced any of that? In the year 2020, corporate America
0: coined a new term. They said, we don't know how we're going to handle the coming mental health tsunami. I'm not the one seeing it. It's very obvious. The isolation aggravated and put a shine, shined a, shone a light on the cracks in the foundation. We have a mental health medical model that was struggling to keep up before COVID. Now the mental health community themselves are under so much stress that they are one of the highest risk groups. We have a system that wasn't designed for this much strain. And then we have all of the stigmas, all of the reasons people don't talk about it, all of the isolation, all of the distancing, which may have been necessary to keep us safe from the pandemic, but has aggravated the other epidemic. And suicide is an epidemic that is highly, highly contagious. And the numbers are growing. This is not pseudoscience. This is science. When the Center for Disease Control says that over that over 25% of American young adults are struggling with suicide, and by their own admission, this is double what it was two years ago.
1: Imagine what it would be now.
0: And by the way you want to scare somebody you point out the elephant in the room i'm known as the elephant tamer you point out the elephant in the room here's the elephant in the room that number over 25 percent that's only the ones that are willing to talk about it willing to self-disclose that they're struggling we have no idea what it is what the numbers truly are my own unofficial people I talk to on the street, people I meet at networking events, at joint venture conferences. I'm running. Seventy percent of the people I talk to have a story of a friend who's tried or died, or they have.
1: Yeah, that's, that's 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 extensive. I mean, that's pretty pretty deep there. I mean, it's a lot of uh, suicidal thought that that's in place. Uh, it is. It is It is an epidemic and
0: it, this one is one though that doesn't need drugs. This one, I mean, now barring mental health diagnosis that needs intervention, okay? That's a separate conversation. For the vast majority of people, it doesn't take drugs. It takes building their resilience muscles. It takes building a, a, a system so that they have an access To optimism, it takes coming to believe that just because they don't feel good at the moment, just because they're thinking about something really dark at the moment, doesn't mean they're going to stay there. And it's that belief system that will change the world. And all you have to do to get there, talk
1: about it. Well, this is this has been pretty interesting show, and 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 definitely a very deep, um, detailed, I guess, insights on on what's going on in real life and things that we might not even, I guess, be aware of, but they are existing and they are real, and the risk is real. So, so we're coming to the end of the show for today, and definitely want to have a, maybe a follow up with that emotional uh, resilience. So, hey, <laughs> I'm booking you again <laughs> for that one. But, 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 um, what would be like a couple of thoughts to leave our audiences, you know, and, and and listeners today with?
0: The first one is smile, a true, honest smile that goes not just from your face but up to your eyes. Anybody who says masks were all bad missed one point. Because of wearing masks, we started engaging in what they call Duchamp smiles, where it went up to our eyes. That kind of smile, looking at somebody with that kind of smile has been proven to improve the feel-good chemicals in your brain. So smile. Mirror neurons matter.
1: (laughs) All right. Well, Jackie, thank you, thank you. This has been a, a real fun and very, very uh, inspiring and enlightening actually uh, discussion. And I think for our viewers, you know, uh, there's so much to to learn from here. Uh, definitely check out the sites and and do the test. Uh, we all owe it to ourselves to help ourselves and our families and friends. Uh, and hopefully, if we can save a life technically, I mean, you, that's really what it is. I mean, that is, that is a great deal right, for anyone uh, that, that is listening. So uh, uh, that being said, Jackie, thank you for, for the, the time and all the, the, the insights, it's, it's being real, it's good. And definitely have, we have to have a, a second run here. So, so we'll talk about that. Uh, and folks, uh, thank you for watching uh, on the iHealth channel, listening on uh, iHealth Radio, Hurricane H here, Jackie Simmons. Um, and, um, you know, we'll talk soon.